Checky Show. We got this groovy podcast for ya. Reviewing crazy tunes or quoting Twain and Sting and Doom. We'll bring ideas to share like bonus points for extra flair because it's the freaking Dave and Checky Show. Show. We're bringing you this groovy review. We might preview movies, bake some bread, or drink some smoothies. So come on, have way too much caffeine. You roll up some rivers, I'll reference some Raffi. This is the Dave and Checky Show. Now, is it me? Oh boy. Or is Tempur-Pedic uh-huh. a bad name for a product? Because... On the very least, it sounds like your kid's having a temperature tantrum. Mm. And at the worst, you got a guy who's got a really bad temper because he's got a leaky penis. Okay, now it's... Temper-P-Dick. What kind, what kind of a lunatic would call their product Temper-P-Dick? I don't know. That is ridiculous. No pun intended. I, I hear that they run hot, though. Like you get hot Is that some sort of a joke, too? That's like a double entendre. They do run hot. You know what else runs hot? The people who lay on them. Okay, that's what I meant. I meant that they cause you to get really hot. Is water wet or is it just water? Okay. Can water itself be wet or does it create a wet sensation? Yeah. Yeah, baby. Okay. (laughs) What is up? Aren't we doing abstracts today? No, we're doing another top Top ten. Top ten abstracts, is that correct? Oh my God, David. Top ten abstracts. No. Now, Stephen Hawking was kind of bizarre, but he had a point when he said, what? No. Oh. We're not doing any of that. Well, as Roseanne, Roseanne and Dana once said, Uh never mind. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because of uh, last week's uh, show, we kept on talking about top tens and what the the lists that we didn't like that they added and who they didn't uh, add. And we decided that this week we would each share our own top ten. Now, we didn't really... uh, we didn't. We don't have official criteria for what makes our top ten. So I don't know what your criteria was. Um, uh, top ten. My criteria was the top ten best albums. Right, but what was you? Were you going by the top selling by the by best the ones that albums? I like? Okay, exactly. My criteria for your person. These are your personal top tens. Yes. Okay, I pretty much did the same thing. Um, I didn't. I. I. Th- these were my personal top tens. Albums that I personally can listen to over and over again. Um, of course, there was more than 10, but I had to pick just 10. Um, so uh, if you are ready, do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? Yeah, it's up to you. Well, if I go first, you finish last. Well, in a top 10 list, uh-huh. 10 is almost as important as one because not really. you catch the no. people who just started listening. You never know if they're even going to listen through the whole podcast. They might not even catch number one. So really, 10 might be more important than one. Nope, that's not how it works. Oh. Nope. Uh-uh. Sure? I'm very sure. I read from left to right. Do uh-huh. you? Wait, no. From right to left. Never mind. Okay, I'll go first. Oh my God! Are you are you ready? Is that the name of the band? 
That was a band of friends of ours. Oh, was that your top ten? No. Oh, okay. I just wanted to make sure. That is not in my top ten. All right. Your number ten. Shout out to Jeff. Oh. Uh, what was his name? Lawber? Yeah, that guy. I don't know. Gra- Grayson? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. All right. Coleman knows. Coleman. Maybe we should do his top ten list next. Well, maybe. I'm thinking about putting something together like that. People I, can send in their top tens. Coleman, uh, PDP. Let me tell you uh, something. Wiggy Bloogie. Yep. I don't have a single rap album on my top ten. Well, that's that's not. Why, why would you spoil it, Dave? Now you've spoiled well, I'm just, it. I'm just going to tell you right ahead of the start. I don't consider that album worthy. Well, you know what? Maybe one. I'm going to edit all this stuff out because sure. you're spoiling shit. There's one that's album worthy. Is it The Chronic? Yeah. Okay. That's not on my list, though. It's not on my list either, but... That is, that is one. We agree on that one. Okay. Uh, I don't go in for that other crap. That's fine. I'm the, not a Wu-Tang but, man. But to me, the, the Chronic is a comedy album. That's why I like it so much. That's the joke that no one else got. D's nuts. How can anybody think that's anything but a joke? Well, that's not. That is a joke. But they're all, it's all a joke. Rolling my 6'4 is not a joke. All right, now. Ready for the top 10? Number 10, according to Dave. Yeah, my concept of an album is an album concept. It's a concept album. You see what I'm saying? No, but go ahead. My concept of a good album is a concept album. I see. A.K.A. Uh, well, I won't mention them because they are all in my list. I see. But here's my... here Now, the kinks, okay? Ooh! Let me tell you about the kinks. Okay. They were a prolific band. The kinks were banned from the Americas in around 1965 or so. And uh, they still managed to be extremely popular, but they were banned. Their music was banned while the Stones and the Who and the Beatles were allowed to proliferate, prolif- proliferate in America. The Kinks were not, and I do not know why. Why are you talking like Grady? Because sometimes I Grady it up when <laughs> I get into historian mode. Oh, okay. It helps me to get my elder going. Okay, so tell me, which album from the Kinks? Well, that's the thing about the oh, Kinks. Okay. The Kinks... The Kings, the Kinks should have been called the Kinks because they were the Kings of concept albums. Uh-huh. Now you might think the Who mm-hmm. with Tommy or Quadrophenia, mm-hmm. but I'm saying that the Kinks now starting with Arthur, which was a great album, mm-hmm. and then uh, well, almost all their albums were uh, theatrical concept albums from basically like 1967 to fucking 1977. All right. So I'm just saying right here, schoolboys in disgrace. If ever you think about the happiest days of your life, pass back your mind for a while and remember the time when you were a child. Don't think of things that make you sad. Just remember times that you had Number 10 album, The Kinks, Schoolboys in Disgrace. Yeah. 
The Kinks Presents Schoolboys in Disgrace is a 1975 concept album by The Kinks. It was considered to be the last album by critics in what they dubbed the group's theatrical period and their final release for RCA Records. According to the back cover liner notes, the story which the album presents is as follows... Once upon a time, there was a naughty little schoolboy. He and his gang were always playing tricks on the teachers and bullying other children in the school. One day, he got himself into very serious trouble with a naughty schoolgirl, and he was sent to the headmaster, who decided to disgrace the naughty boy and his gang in front of the whole school. Now, what is it uh, about this album that you love so much? Uh, I just think the uh, musicianship is really good, the songwriting is excellent, and the... Uh Mm, just about everything about it is really good. The lyrics are good. Uh, I like, uh, in particular, the song No More Looking Back. That's a very uh, accomplished piece of music, I think. favorite song on the record? Mm, probably my favorite song on the record, but I like a bunch of the songs on the record. I don't really listen to this stuff anymore, but it just had a big impact back in the day. All right. But No More Looking Back is one of the one of the better Kinks songs, I think. I do love the Kinks. Uh, I don't know much about their theatrical period, uh, but I do like uh, a lot of their shit. There are songs off of albums that I think might be better than some of these albums. Like, I like these. There's songs that aren't on some of these top ten albums, but overall, the albums are what I'm picking. They might not have some of my favorite songs on them, though. I see. But as over, overall, as an album, it's a piece. All right. You're number ten. Schoolboys in Disgrace. And you got to also give a shout-out to Misfits. And uh, Sleepwalker okay. and Low Budget, which were all in the same time period. You can only pick one. I'm just saying, those that's that prolificity, if that's a word, of uh, the kinks. Prolificality. Very impressive. All right. Not to mention Lola oh. versus Power Man, all that earlier stuff, but, you know, whatever. My number 10. Are you ready? Yeah. I made my picks based on... Uh, how much I could listen to it, how much I have listened to it, how much I love it, um, all of that kind of shit. So uh, I don't know if we're, we're doing it for the same reasons, but it's, that's fine. There's a lot of things we don't uh, mesh on completely. My number 10, Simon and Garfunkel, The Concert in Central Park. Yeah, what the hell, man? 
I was at the freaking concert in Central Park. And let me tell you something. That was a well-organized show. Unlike the Diana Ross concert, where they fucking savaged it up and went wilding. Okay? What am I talking about? I'm talking about the crowd of fucking Simon and Garfunkel were nice and fucking civilized. And then those savages ruined everything. That's all I'm going to say. All right. You know, truly, I'm just talking the facts. All right. But yeah, 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 I was at that show, mm-hmm. and uh, Steve Gadd was on drums, all right? Oh, okay, well, all right, uh, let me just... Any uh, show that has oh. Steve Gadd on drums, you're bound to uh, calm the savage beast. There's never going to be a riot with Steve Gadd on drums. That man will mesmerize you. is easy if you take it logically I'd like to help you in your struggle to be free there must be 50 ways to leave your lover she said it's really well, now you go it's my turn to talk yeah okay uh, the concert in Central Park released in February 1982 on Warner Brothers Records is the first live album by American by American folk rock duo Simon and Garfunkel. I think it came out in like, I think it was recorded in like 80 though or something. It was recorded in September 1981 at a free benefit concert in Central Park, New York City, where the pair performed in front of more than 500,000 people. Yeah, baby. Proceeds went towards the redevelopment and maintenance of the park, which had deteriorated due to lack of municipal funding. Uh, I will just read off some of the the songs on this this list. Uh, it was uh, the great lawn. I think was on. Mrs. Robinson, Homeward Bound, America, Me and Julio, Down by the Schoolyard, Scarborough Fair, April Comes She Will, Wake Up Little Susie, Still Crazy After All These Years, American Tune, Late in the Evening, Slip Sliding Away, A Heart in New York, The Late Great Johnny Ace, Kodachrome. The show was ridiculous. Bridge Over Troubled Water, 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover, The Boxer, Old Friends, The 59th Street Bridge Song, and The Sound of Silence. The thing about this is, is this might have been, uh, this is probably the exact band that is in the movie One Trick Pony, and then you just add Art Garfunkel to it. So it's essentially Stuff, which is a New York legendary fusion funk band with Steve Gadd and Richard T., the organist. Okay, so, so this is the, that band. It's it's the reason the stuff sh- with yeah. Mark Garfunkel, basically. And the show, I mean, the shit was really good. I remember being really good. I, the only thing I remember was it was raining. 
but it was extremely good. I was too young to be, uh, I was would never have been allowed to leave the house uh, to do anything really, but in 1981, I was never going to be allowed to leave the house <laughs> and go wandering around Central Park, so good on you for having parents that are like, fuck yeah, unless they were there too. No, I don't they know. weren't there. That I was smoking weed, baby. Yeah, I was yeah. not smoking weed at 19. I wasn't drinking. I was smoking weed. I had my shit straight even back then. But this album, or the this set of albums, uh, so listenable. Everything's a hit. Everything sounds great. Um, it's a studio fucking... Everyone in the band is a studio musician. That's an, a top call band right there. It's an amazing, amazing Does it have the personnel? Okay, you asked too much. Oh, because I like this. the second time you've done this It's a great album. I mean, it's, it's, a, great, a, great it's a great album, great, but it's not on your list, motherfucker. Well, it's a great concert. I didn't even think of it as an album. That's just an event that I experienced. All right, well, I get that, but uh, I just love it. It just, when I hear certain songs uh, from them, um, it just makes me happy. I like Paul Simon. I'm not much of a Garfunkel fan. Yeah, you like Call Me Al, do you? I don't like that so much. You don't like Call Me Al? Uh, yeah, I, I could take it or leave it. Oh, son of a bitch. I like Chevy Chase. Okay, well, that's fine. It's, I'm, I'm talking about the song, not the video, but that's yeah, fine. Yeah, but the, the song just reminds me of like Al Gore and like bad politics at this point. That's fine. Uh, I, you gotta, um, you know. I like Simon. I like Paul Simon. I like Art Garfunkel. Whoa, hey. And he had, at some point, he sang like the national anthem at uh, like the U.S. Open or something. Yeah. A 10 or 20 years ago. Was he good? Well, he was great. I love him. But yeah. he had his son with him who looked like a mini Art Garfunkel. Like, I think they were dressed alike. Sam and Roberts. He, and he had the regular hair. No, Sam, please. <laughs> Please, Sam I don't think he was one that looked like a mini art car football. That seems like a nightmare. It was actually adorable. A anyway, you're number nine, Dave. Number nine? Yeah, hey, the White Album? Hey, anybody? <laughs> anybody? Uh, should we no. just take a st- uh, stop and say that we we ni- none of us, neither of us picked a Beatles or a Zeppelin or a... I picked, okay, I got some Zeppelin. You oh, okay. Said, that one particular Zeppelin. Right, okay. That Because they were on the other albums. That's I mean, on the other list. That's fine. Okay, number nine. Go ahead. I'm sorry for interrupting. Oh, it's no problem. I love interruptions. Um... Uh, my number nine is uh, uh, Axis Bold as Love, Jimi Hendrix. Boldest love? Excuse me, is your exes boldest love? If it's not, maybe you'd like to have a talk. Come with me. Excuse me, sir, are you Jewish? But it's all in your mind. 
That's what I hear people doing downtown. They come up to you and ask you if you're Jewish. God forbid you say yes. Downtown where? Downtown New York. Oh, because they want to sell you Downtown something? Venezuela, where all the uh, hebes are. I don't know what you're talking about. Axis Bold as Love is... I don't know what I'm talking about, so how the hell would you? Uh-huh. Axis Bold as Love is the second studio album by English-American rock band The Jimi Hendrix Experience. It was recorded to fulfill the Experience's contract, which stated that they had to produce two records in 1967. Or else... Axis Bold as Love was first released in the United Kingdom by Track Records in December 1967 as the follow-up to the band's successful debut, Are You Experienced?, which had been released in May. Reprise Records chose not to release it in the United States until 1968 because of fears that it might interfere with the sales of the first album. Axis Bold as Love charted at number five in the UK and number three in the US. The album also peaked at number six on the Billboard R&B chart. Really? Now that now that is something. That's when R and B was motherfucking R and B. Okay, Mister R Kelly. More like your music is all smelly. All right, we don't know that to be true. 100%. I know his music sucks, and I know that Jimi Hendrix was the real deal. So tell me about this record. Why it's your number nine? Uh, because this is a this is masterpiece. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Now, Jimmy played most of the bass on this album, by the oh, way. Okay. So don't, don't go thinking that Noel Redden's some kind of great bass player. He was okay. But this is really just Mitch Mitchell and Jimi Hendrix and Eddie Kramer, if I'm not mistaken. Uh-huh. Uh, I might be mistaken. It's definitely Mitch Mitchell and Jimi Hendrix. And uh, the songwriting is excellent. The playing is excellent. The drumming is amazing. The guitar playing is amazing. The recording is amazing. The lyrics are amazing. The songs are amazing. song to pick on it there's every song is a killer and just remind me once again what songs are on this let me just see we got let me just think off the head top of my head little wing insane masterpiece recorded by so many people it's basically a it's basically a standard it's a modern day standard like a jazz standard wow point. really okay yeah sting recorded it i mean seal it's just whatever it's it's considered uh, above and beyond uh, Castles Made of Sand, I believe, is on this one. Am I mistaken? No, you're not mistaken. Jesus Christ, that song is another... It's, if you haven't taken acid, Castles Made of Sand is why you should take acid. <laughs> okay. Uh, Wait Till Tomorrow, amazing, amazing R&B rock love song. Uh, excellent tune. 
Spanish Castle Magic. What the fuck? There was no music like this back then. No one was playing like this. Cream, cream is a, more like cream of shit. Oh, okay. They, the cream couldn't play like this. Ginger Baker's amazing, but Clapton compared to Hendrix that time, shit. Hendrix steps all over Clapton. I mean, he'd make Clapton look like a choir boy. Clapton's a joke compared to Hendrix. All right, now. It just is. He was. He's good, but not like Hendrix. So this is your number nine of all time, your favorite number nine. This is a diverse album. Amazing, in my opinion. Excellent. Yeah. This is what Mitch Mitchell could really play. Are you ready for my number nine? Yes. <laughs> my number nine is Prince, Purple Rain. Without my number nine, you got you don't never got your number nine. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> okay, I I literally had no idea what words you just said, and then I was like, because it was it sounded like Yamanamana, Yamanamana, and I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> just saying, Jimi Hendrix is a precursor to Prince. I understand. Without my number nine, we don't have your number nine. Just without a. a just without uh, a little bit of the enunciation, <laughs> but that was fucking funny. Mana, mana. Uh, Purple Rain is the sixth studio album by American recording artist Prince, the first to feature his band The Revolution, and is the soundtrack to the 1984 film of the same name. It was released on June 25th, 1984 by Warner Brothers Records. In the United States, the album debuted at number 11 on the Billboard 200 the week of July 14, 1984, with approximately 1.5 million copies sold. After four weeks on the chart, it reached number one on August 4, 1984. The first two singles from the album, When Doves Cry and Let's Go Crazy, topped the U.S. singles charts and were hits around the world, while the title track went to number two on the Billboard Hot 100. Purple Rain was present on the Billboard 200 for a total of 122 weeks. Yeah, I mean, now you're getting into mega monsterness. I loved the movie. I love the soundtrack. I can listen to the soundtrack over and over. Um, I, I love it. I th- you know, I don't listen to music the way you do. Um, I'm sure you... I, I, I don't think you can find much fault with Purple Rain, though, as a great album, no? Yeah, it's definitely good. Um, oh, boy, okay. That is not the amount of enthusiasm I would think you would have. You don't like Prince? I like Prince. I actually like Under Cherry Moon more. I like that album and I like that movie too. And I like uh, Sign of the Times probably more also. Okay. Because I don't like the sound quality of a lot of the stuff on Purple Rain. It's a little drum machine-y and a little reverby or I don't know, something about it. 
I like House Quake. Okay. But Purple Rain, of course, is the album. I mean, it's his breakthrough biggest album. Yeah. And song-wise, it's great. And guitar playing-wise, it's great. Yeah. I mean, the songs include Let's Go Crazy, Take Me With You, The Beautiful Ones, Computer Blue, Darling Nikki, When Doves Cry, I Would Die For You, Baby, I'm a Star, and Purple Rain. Um, What's your favorite song on the album? Fuck, I don't have... I can't say I have a, a a favorite. I like I really like them all. Um, I love "Let's Go Crazy." I love "I Would Die for You," and I love "Baby, I'm a Star." Yeah, you're okay, Dave. So uh, we're up to your number eight. Eight, eight. Uh, eight. I'm gonna have to say it's uh. Mm, Presence by Led Zeppelin. that one 75 maybe presence is the seventh studio album by the english rock band led zeppelin released by swan song records on march 31st 1976 there you go while the album was a commercial success reaching the top of both the british and american album charts and achieving a triple platinum certification in the united states it received mixed reviews from critics and was the lowest selling studio album by the band while they were still active. Yeah, because critics are foolish. Remind me once again the songs on this one. I will. I thought you... Uh, okay. See, no, I just always listen to this album as an album, so I don't even know the songs. I see. I mean, I know some of them, but I, I don't know. I'd have to be reminded. Achilles' Last Stand. Yeah. For Your Life. Yeah. Royal Orleans. Oh, yeah. Or Royal Orleans. Yes. Or Royal Orleans, uh, nobody's fault but mine. Candy right. stock, candy store rock, hots on for nowhere. T for one. <clears throat> yeah. Well, there you go. So this, this album doesn't have the hits like some of the other albums. I had, I don't think I know any of these songs unless I know them for f- by hearing them. And uh, not by I'm sure title. you know nobody's fault but mine. Why don't you play a second of that one?
That one is uh, nobody's fault but mine. Is uh, very pop rocky. That one was, was played a lot on like PLJ and those stations. Oh, okay. And then uh, let's see. Basically, this album has like amazing uh, songwriting and also amazing like guitar work in the studio. His, his guitar layering is really impressive. This this album really shows uh, Jimmy Page at the height of his like uh, studio mastery. And then Bonham, uh, the way they just weave in and out of the uh, the rhythm changes, the, the the tempo, and at one point he's got the backbeat. This this album is what. Uh, well, first of all, one song he's got the backbeat on one and three instead of two and four, and uh, that is absolutely what influenced Al Van Halen, where he does that on uh, "Beautiful Girls," right? I think it's "Beautiful Girls." Uh, I, I couldn't be double check that. Anyway, it's it's a classic thing, you know. No one plays the back. If you did that without, if you did that by mistake, it's it's it's, it's you're making a mistake essentially. You'd be like you lost the beat, but he switches it around on purpose. So it's really brilliant stuff. Led Zeppelin in general, with their their uh, control of time, is very impressive. They play in odd times. They got songs in nine. That song's in, you know, seven. Weird shit. Okay. <laughs> no, I uh, I just, I I don't know this record at all. That's funny. It's one of their most, like, jamming albums. It's, like, it's pretty hard. It's hard hitting. It's, like, just the first, the first song, Achilles' Last Stand. It's amazing. The whole thing's amazing, I think. I believe you. I trust your uh, judgment on these things. Uh, you ready for my number eight? Yes. Did you have more you wanted to say? No, that's that. Uh, I would just say that Led Zeppelin with John Bonham's son doesn't cut it like it should. So he gives, he gives a nice all-star try, but he, he's not he's not like it was. Right. Not only was John Bonham clever, he also had this groove that was really, really uh, swinging and solid. Whose son is a better drummer, Ringo's or John Bonham? Ringo's son is much better. Excellent. Zach Starkey, very good drummer. All right. My number eight is a bit of a cheat. Okay. The Police, Greatest Hits. Hey, now. Greatest hits. Oh, that's fine. What the hell? Who gives a shit? Walking on the moon 
police have a lot of records with a lot of hits on them. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, why don't we just put the the greatest hits uh, as the as this record? Because I love the police. When they first came out, I didn't get them. Yeah. I didn't like them. I think they first came out, not maybe when they first came out, but uh, when I first heard of them, I was just like, this isn't Kiss. This isn't, you know, this this music that I was loving, uh, Black Sabbath. You know, I was really liking the heavier shit in the, in the uh, late 70s, early 80s. Uh, for reasons I don't know, but so when I first heard the police, I just I just they were rubbing me the wrong way because I was so uh, I was so into the heavy shit. But as I grew up, I realized, fuck Christ, these guys are amazing, and they have hit after hit after hit. I mean, synchronicity, every breath you take, there's just, it was just very difficult. I knew I wanted the police on my top 10, but I couldn't think of one album in particular. So I cheated and went with the greatest hits. Please forgive me, but on the greatest hits, it's Roxanne, Can't Stand Losing You, So Lonely, Message in a Bottle, Walking on the Moon, The Bed's Too Big Without You, Don't Stand So Close to Me, Da Do Do Do, Da 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 Da, Every Little Thing She Does is Magic, Invisible Sun, Spirits in the Material World, Synchronicity, Every Breath You Take, King of Pain, Wrapped Around Your Finger, and Tea in the Sahara. I like the first six songs there. If I'm not mistaken. You don't like Spirits in the Material World? That's when it all changed for me. Oh, okay. I like one, two, three, and that's it. Oh, After is that true? Zanyata Mendata, um, Sinyata Cantata. Really? I yeah. didn't realize that. And by Sinyata Cantata, I mean I'm out. Well, I, I, f- I think everyone has figured that out. Can you tell me uh, why? Uh, it got too commercial for me. I don't know. I, I don't see. like, uh, you don't like people being it got a little too, uh, songy and not jammy enough. I see. Now, my favorite album, it's one through three. I like Outlandos de Amor. I like Regatta de Blanc and then Zenyatta Mandata in that order. And they're all three amazing albums. Zenyatta Mandata is a pretty damn fucking good album. <laughs> Do you really like Zenyatta Mandata? Hey, Zenyatta Mandata. <laughs> That's what I used to call my black friend in high school. Stop it. You what? did not call anyone Zenyatta Madonna. Oh, that's right. I didn't have a black friend in high school. Stop yes, I that. did. Well, he was God a mulatto. Damn it. What? He was a mulatto. Stop it. It wasn't bad back then. Everyone thought we were talking about a cookie, a Milano mint. Uh-huh. Anyway, uh, so you didn't like Synchronicity? I mean, Synchronicity I don't is mind it, you a know. huge album. I, I, exactly. exactly. It's it was, huge. It got a little too huge for me. I didn't like the dead. By the time they started doing Touch of Grey, I was uh, okay, out. I was you know in Adam and Dada. We are talking about the police. Just saying, you know, when it gets too big, I say, oh, now it's theirs. It used to be ours. Now it's theirs. You guys can have it. I'm on the next thing. I had that moment with Blues Traveler, by the way. So I had that moment with him, too. It was called... Okay. Never again. It was called, oh, don't touch that taco plate. <laughs> okay. Don't touch that platter full of tacos because the King Popper is going to come down and uh, blow his harmonica so loud in your ear, you're going to be deaf. I don't know what or you're so- talking about. God forbid about. you want a sound check. Here comes Popper. You know, there goes your ears. This, the- this chapter is called... The, my, I left my ears in Popper Frisco. Okay. So if for me, for Blues Traveler, it was when... Uh, I guess four came out, and all of a sudden they kind of blew up in colleges. Four. Pete Kovacevic is on that album. 
And well, Pete is uh, Pete should be on many albums because he is a guitar genius. However, uh, four came out and they were playing at Roseland, and I had seen them, you know, hundreds of times. And I was there with my friend uh, Wheelchair James, who was in a wheelchair, and we were sitting at a special spot up and above the crowd. Um, and all of a sudden, they started playing Sweet Talking Hippie. And in Sweet Talking Hippie, as uh, old school blues traveler fans know, you, the clapping is. But there was a shit ton of college kids in khaki pants, blue shirts, and baseball hats who weren't clapping properly. Goddamn proud and, boys. And I fucking had that moment where it's no longer ours, it's theirs. And it broke my fucking heart to see these retarded kids clapping the wrong way and uh i continued to see them a few more times but i honestly uh it it hurt my heart to see the bad clapping and in the past popper had gone out of his way to make sure you clapped right but when there was a sea of college kids he did not and it it all broke my heart i just remember my heart just it it fucking shrunk in my chest and uh, well and then Bobby died and then I just I I really did lose lose it. You can lead a horse to water but you can't make a fucking frat boy clap right. I guess not but I was just like and even today if I listen to that first uh, Blues Traveler record which is not on my top 10 but it easily could be because I have listened to it a a gazillion times I still uh, clap along the right way. Thank you very much. Fuck you, college kids. I like Bobby. Now, let me tell you something. There was a record store on St. Mark's. Yes. I don't remember what it was called. Uh Uh-huh. But I remember hanging out in there one time. And some cat came in with the Spin Doctor's first album without vocals on it. And the tracks were not complete yet. Oh. he played them. And I thought to myself, God damn, these guys are fucking really good. Yeah. And I was fucking envious as shit. I was like, how the fuck did he get that drum sound? Oh. Without the vocals, the shit was like, I was very impressed. Yeah. I'll tell you that. That's just what Traveler, I mean, because I like Spin Doctors way more than Traveler back in the day. I liked Spin Doctors a lot, but I didn't love, uh, what's his name? Mark White. Just kidding. You're an <laughs> asshole. You're just a fucking <laughs> asshole, bro. I can't even take you anymore. I just cannot. I like Mark White. I liked Aaron Gomez. Chris Barron. Chris Everyone Barron. hates Chris Barron. How much fucking Tai Chi can you do in front of a, a mic stand? Dude, I went and I went to Atlantic City to see those motherfuckers, and he's got his stupid little notebook, and the band is jamming, and he's writing in his notebook. I don't know if he's trying to be like Jim Morrison. He's trying to. He's a poet. Man. He, he's not though and then he like leans into the microphone and he looks at you know the 150 people there and he goes do you guys know what a gerund is and I was just like are oh, you gotta be fucking kidding me you fucking asshole mm-hmm. I'm all the way down here in Atlantic City and you're gonna fucking play bullshit do you know what a gerund is like you're some f- fucking genius like we all didn't go to goddamn high school English class I don't class. know what a is well that's because you went to crazy schools it's a verb with an ing at the end of it oh I don't know how to conjugate verbs like shut up and start singing 
is what I should have said to him, stupid ass. But anyway, so, um, yeah. My number eight, Police, Greatest Hits. Uh, we're on to your number seven, David. Oh, number seven. That's a rocky one. Oh, lucky number this seven. This one, rocky number seven. All right. Ancient rocky seven. Uh-huh. Uh, for me, a rocky number seven is uh, the Royal Scam. Oh, the by, Royal uh, Scam. By our Steary Dan. Steary Dan. Scam is the fifth studio album by Steely Dan, originally released by ABC Records in 1976. The album went gold and peaked at number 15 on the charts. The Royal Scam features more prominent guitar work than the prior Steely Dan album, Katie Lied, which had been the first without founding guitarist Jeff Baxter. Guitarists on the recording include Walter Becker, Denny Diaz, Diaz, Yes. Larry Carlton, Elliot Randall, and Dean Parks. You know, uh, this album, now if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. now is this... Did you pick the wrong album, Dan? No, is okay. this all Bernard Purdy, or does it also have Rick Murata on a cut or two? I think it might have Rick Murata on uh, Don't Take Me Alive. Now I could play this album pretty much note for note on drums. Oh, I hate to tell you. I see Bernard Purdy on drums, and I see no one else on drums. Now, what about Don't Take Me Alive? What about it? It's on this album? Don't Take Me Alive, track number three, with a guitar solo by Larry Carlton. What other songs are on it? Kid Charlemagne, The Caves of Altamira, Don't Take Me Alive, Sign In Stranger, The Fez. Hi, Green Earrings, Haitian Divorce, Everything You Did, and The Royal Scam. Fucking amazing album. I think I think that uh, uh, I really think that uh, Murata is on one of those cuts, though. Rick Murata, drums. Don't take me alive and everything you did. Well, there. See, there you go. <laughs> Rick Murata. Boom. That <laughs> man is a good drummer. This before. One yes. of the bigger influences on Steve Gadd, if you can believe it or not. Now, if, and Rick Murata was probably influenced by Steve Gadd, too. There you go, a little common influencing. Rick Murata influenced Steve to be able to groove better. Oh, okay. Because Rick Murata doesn't even, I don't think he even read music. Rick Murata wrote the theme song for uh, Everybody Loves Raymond. Oh, okay. 
Anyway. Uh, you love Mick, Rick Murata, apparently. Yeah, and I love Bernard Purdy. And I also love the story behind this one. This uh, The drum kit on this uh, album belonged to uh, um, Jeff Percaro. Jeff Percaro recorded all the drums on the previous album. And then uh, he got a call from Walter Becker asking him if uh, he could uh, borrow his drum kit. And he was like, oh, yeah, sure. Maybe I'm going to go in and record soon with him. And they borrowed his drum kit, and Bernard Purdy used it. <laughs> and they used Bernard Purdy on the whole album. <laughs> and uh, the funny thing is, on the album before, uh, Ber- uh, Jeff Percaro was a young drummer, and he was not confident in his playing on a couple of cuts. And he's like, you should get this guy. You should get Jim Gordon. Oh, and, Jim uh, Gordon. You know, so sure enough, the next album, they got someone else. Probably they were like, you know what, we should get someone else. Well, so that would, the lesson there is don't put thoughts, don't put unnecessary thoughts out for yes. people to, to then use. That's true. That's true. It's true. Anyway, that album is killer. Also, first of all, and mm-hmm. second of all, uh-huh. I don't it's like the Kinks. 1974, 75, 76, and 77 for Steely Dan. You got fucking. Uh, you got uh, Countdown to Ecstasy. You got the you got Pretzel Logic. You got Royal Scam. You got Katie Lied, not in that order. And then you got Asia. And then Gaucho. Oh my God, that right there. What the fuck? Though all those albums, masterpieces. Agreed. I. But this oh, is the thing. Yes. Uh, Royal Scam is the departure from the whole when they had a regular working band. And it's when they started using studio musicians, and so it's essentially when they got a little more advanced songwriting-wise and musicianship-wise. It's it's the precursor to Asia. It's what leads up to Asia. And Asia is the climax of Steely Dan. It's not my favorite album, but it is probably Steely Dan at their best. That's what I would say. Okay. And what song would you recommend? Oh, shit. Where would you begin? You know, Kid Charlemagne, I guess. Never change. 
great, great guitar playing on this album. Oh, and Fidelity. When you heard this album back in 1980, uh, with a Walkman on, or 81, yeah, this was one of those albums that was like, wow. It blew really your mind? Yeah. This well. What's that? It blew your mind? Yeah. Recording, Fidelity-wise. I mean, like there's some early Santana albums, they're great albums, but Fidelity-wise, they're just inferior compared to like this. This is really good. And they would say they probably they weren't even that good at recording at that point, but I, I disagree. Okay. Number seven. The Royal Scam by Steely Dan. Nice, Dave. Oh, yeah. I'm with you on that one. I like these because I can say my album and you know more about it than I do anyway. Mm. And... Uh, I like that because I, I just I like them. My reasons for liking something are so basic uh, and so easy, but you, you seem to really uh, understand them a lot more than me. My number seven. Nothing but the best. Frank Sinatra. Fly me to the moon. Let me play among the stars. Let me see what spring is like on Jupiter and Mars. In other words, hold my hand. In other words, baby, kiss me. Fill my heart with song and let me sing forevermore. You are all I long for, all I worship and adore. In other words, please be true. In other words, I love you. I love this record. And if you haven't if you haven't listened to Frank Sinatra legitimately listened, there is a magic about that motherfucker and this album because it is nothing but the best. It, there's just there's not one song on it where you're just like or for me anyway, you might be different, Dave, but there's not one song where I'm like, no, I'm going to skip through this one. So, uh, let me just go down the list of the songs on it. Come fly with me. The best is yet to come. The way you look tonight, luck be a lady, bewitched, bothered, and bewildered. The good life, the girl from Ipanema, fly me to the moon, summer wind, strangers in the night, call me irresponsible, something stupid, my kind of town, it was a very good year, that's life, moonlight serenade, nothing but the best, drinking again, all my tomorrows, my way, Theme from New York, New York, Body and Soul, and The Coffee Song. Um, I'll tell you, it is it is a great record. If you, uh, I don't know, I just, do you have any thoughts on Frank Sinatra at all? Uh-huh. Okay. What's The Coffee Song? Uh, I don't, I don't know uh, right offhand, so move ahead. Uh, Sinatra is amazing. He's got amazing uh, musicians with him. He's got Don Costa or arranging most of that shit. And uh, 
Sinatra was a hip cat. He was very musical, and he influenced generations of, of musicians and singers. And his songs are swinging. I like all of those except for uh, one or two. I don't like them slow fucking ballads. No, I mean you're not that that guy. You like something. You like stuff uh, that swings. A very good year. I, that's how, that, I can't listen to that. <laughs> okay, come fly with me though. That, that's good. That's I a, like. Uh, uh, what's that song? Uh, I only have eyes. Now that's good stuff. That the version Frank Sinatra's version of "I Only Advise for You" that is fucking amazing. The drumming on that is the way they set up the figures, the big band, boom. That's fucking big band drumming at its finest. I don't think it's even on this album. Amazing cut though. I just happen to like that tune. All right. Well, I like uh, the songs I like on this one. I I like them all. Um, Fly me to the moon is ridiculous. He, I don't know. He just projects a, a certain kind of coolness that uh, makes you want to, you know, smoke a pack a day and uh, I don't know, dress like a mod. And I just, it just puts me in a mood, and it's just, it's just great. I just, I, there was nothing better for me while I was driving from Lake Arrowhead to Pasadena and back uh, than listening to the, this, this fucking amazing dude Frank Sinatra fucking amazing and uh, this record has so many hits on it there's just no way you you can't enjoy it unless you just don't enjoy uh, Frank Sinatra which I can't imagine I can't imagine you saying I don't like him that just doesn't make sense to me unless you're just you know trying to be an asshole which I think some people can do all right, that was my number seven. Frank Sinatra, nothing but the best. You're number six, David. Yeah, Rush 2112, man. Is that what it is? No. Oh, I don't know. I was getting ready. Hey, to... hey we are the priests of the Temple of Syrinx, man. That's some good shit. All right. Okay, ugh, you're disgusting me. Temples are... Syrinx. Stop it, David, please. <laughs> Maybe I should start doing the show with Coleman. Quiet now. Okay. You're number six, Dave. My number six is... Let me just tell you this. All right. The crux of the biscuit is the apostrophe. My number six is apostrophe by Frank Zappa. <laughs> Thank you. 
is the 18th album by Frank Zappa released in March of 1974 in both stereo and quadraphonic formats. An edited version of its lead-off track, Don't Eat the Yellow Snow, was the first of Zappa's three Billboard Top 100 hits, <laughs> ultimately peaking at number 86. It remains Zappa's most commercially successful album in the United States. It was certified gold by the RIAA on April 7, 1976, and peaked at number 10, a career-high placement on Billboard's 200 charts, top 200 in 1974. Continuing from the commercial breakthrough of Overnight Sensation in 1973, this album is a similar mix of short songs showcasing Zappa's humor and musical arrangements, the record's lyrical themes are often bizarre or obscure, with the exception of Uncle Remus, which is an extension of Zappa's feelings on racism featured on his earlier song, Trouble Every Day. So why... That's a pretty fair assessment. Why did you pick this one, Apostrophe? Well, in my opinion, musically, it's amazing. The guitar playing is stellar. The drumming and bass playing. Keyboard playing by George Duke. The bass playing is Tom Fowler, if I'm not mistaken, who's one of my favorite rock jazz bass players ever. He played with Jean-Luc Ponty after Zappa. It's brilliant. And, uh... Yeah, as a kid, I could really, you know, get behind it because it was so comical. It caught me when I was, like, you know, about... Probably about nine or ten years old was when I first heard it. So... Anything with yellow snow in it and all this stuff of talk of Eskimos and weird shit like that, that got my attention right away. And also the playing on it was like, I, of course, I'd never heard anything like that before. Uh, it was recorded amazingly well. Another album from the 70s with just insanely good fidelity. Zappa's album has always had a really, really good recording quality. And... Yeah, I don't know. It just this kind of stuff really captures your imagination. It's like it's very like uh, leaves a lot to the imagination. Is what I mean. You could really just like get lost in this stuff. Uh, what else about it? Yeah, that's that's it. What track? Uh, let me read the tracks off to you. Don't eat the yellow snow. Nanook rubs it. Saint Alfonso's pancake breakfast. Father Oblivion. Cosmic debris. All right, that whole side is fucking ridiculous. <laughs> uh, Eccentrifical fours, apostrophe, Uncle Remus, and Stinkfoot. Stinkfoot. This album also has uh, a jam on it, which is Jack Bruce on bass, Jim Gordon on drums, and Zap on guitar, a trio power jam. That is really, really good. It's the only instrumental on it. I think it might be apostrophe. Song apostrophe, if I'm not mistaken. Is it says uh, apostrophe Zappa, Jim Gordon, and Jack Bruce. Exactly. That uh, that drum breakdown in that song was pretty influential as a drummer. Jim Gordon, um, such a good drummer, amazing, well-rounded guy. Uh, except for the hammering part. 
Is he still in jail? He is still in jail. Why don't you write him? Uh, he doesn't want to hear from people. He doesn't. He's not. How do you know what people? He's not interested. He he could have gotten out of jail already. He he doesn't want to get out of jail. He's not interested. How do you know he could have gotten out of jail? I'm just I just he doesn't he doesn't answer correctly at parole, and I think he's. Oh, okay. Just, you know, I don't know. Nah, it's just a sad thing, but uh, no, I'm not writing him word. All right. Anyway, um, yeah, the album's amazing. Great choice, David. I am not surprised that there is a Frank Zappa album in your George top Duke. George Duke is uh, is is the master. Is one of the masters behind this stuff. That was your number six, right? Mm-hmm. My number six. I do a lot of cheating. <laughs> mm-hmm. My number six is another greatest hits because I'm a cheater. Queen greatest hits. Greatest Hits is a compilation album by the British rock band Queen, released worldwide on the 26th of October, 1981. The album consisted of Queen's biggest hits since their first chart appearance in 1974, up to their 1980 hit, Flash. Um, Hold on, please. It comes to... It's a... There are two versions of this record. There is a UK version and there is a US version, and they are not the same. I am talking about the US version. Uh, What's the difference? Number of songs on it. Um, I guess it's just... The greatest hits in America was different than their greatest hits in England, so they're not all the same. Um, like there's in the on the English one, there's uh, Seven Seas of Rye, Good Old Fashioned Lover Boy, and Now I'm Here. Those are three songs that did not chart here. Gotcha. So I don't. They are on their greatest hits over in the UK, but in the North American version, not so much. Uh, and the version I had, or I have still, and I still continue to listen, is Another One Bites the Dust, Bohemian Rhapsody, Crazy Little Thing Called Love, Killer Queen, Fat Bottom Girls, Bicycle Race, Under Pressure, We Will Rock You, We Are the Champions, Flash, ah. 
somebody to love. You're my best friend. Keep yourself alive and play the game. All of those songs are fucking huge to me. Um, love them. Love love Queen. Uh, could could listen to this record all fucking day and have in the past. Uh, yeah, the drummer's name is Roger Taylor. Am I mistaken? You're not mistaken. He is known as one of the guys who would be able to tune his drums himself uh, and achieve amazing studio sound. Most guys back in the day would hire people to tune their drums for them, and it would take hours. He's one of those guys who took pride in tuning his own drums, like a John Bonham kind of cat. So, so what do you mean? So you, you would have to hire somebody to tune your drums? Yeah, you hire them, and they spend hours getting them perfectly in tune, you know? And then, uh, wow. But he, was, uh, he had an ear for it, and he would tune his own drums. Well, what does someone like you do? Uh, well, I tune my drums myself, and then now it's different. Uh-huh. See, now you, can, now you get your signal, you know, like distorting, and then you get all your fucking sounds after you record it in, 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 your, in your computer. You know, with your plugins. But back in the day, you were you know, it was a different ballgame. Besides, I'm not recording. Uh, they, those were those were hundred thousand dollar projects, where you know, studios invested hundreds of thousands of dollars into it. This is uh, it's not like that anymore. So you're saying maybe a studio had a guy on the payroll who was, you know, I am the official drum tuner for Warner Brothers or whatever. Yeah, maybe. So they would just send this dude and he would spend the day at the studio. Yeah, or there would just be a drum cartage company that specializes in that. That would be, you know, the number one call or something. Weird. Just like you have someone tune a piano. Piano player is not going to spend his time tuning your piano. That's an extreme because that does take longer to tune your uh, piano than a drum set. But oh, it's the it same does? Concept. Okay. Even, you know, Ace Frehley doesn't tune his own guitar uh, when he plays a concert. You know, I mean, that's true. There's a guitar tech. and yeah. it, Is that what the drum tech and the guitar tech do? Or is yeah, that somebody else not, even beyond that? You're not that? tuning your own drums. You might tune it once and tell the guy this is how I want it, but that's part of his job to tune the shit for you. They change the heads. They tune the drums. Yeah. You're wow. not doing that. That seems like a real... Uh, you know, guys like Bob Clearmountain and stuff, those guys who were like, you know, would get sounds, you know, famous for getting sounds. Uh-huh. You know, it's like an art. Wow. It's an art form in itself. Well, anyway, the, Roger. Uh, yes. Roger Hawkins. Taylor? Taylor Hawkins. What? Taylor Hawkins, the drummer from Foo Fighters, is not who oh. I'm talking about. Oh, Roger Taylor. Roger Taylor. Roger Hawkins is the drummer for uh, Aretha Franklin. He's Muscle Shoals drummer. Now, okay. that guy's a great drummer. All right. We're, listening. we're talking about my choice, yeah. which was Queen. Now, if you want to mention a Bob Seger album, you're talking about Roger Hawkins. I don't want to mention. Foo Fighters is Taylor Hawkins. Uh-huh. Now, this is Roger Taylor. Dave? Now, not John Taylor, who was with Duran uh, Duran. Do you have anything to say about Queen? It's a little faggy for my tastes. Really? Yeah, I was never into it. I couldn't get behind a fag holder. Uh, well... When no one knew it was a fag. It's just you know, I, I personally I didn't like Judas Priest. I didn't like Queen, and uh, name another fag band. I probably didn't like them either. David Bowie. So well, okay. I don't know. It was my personal taste. Rough Boys threw me for a loop, but other than that, I like the Who. All over the place Singing We will, we will rock you 
you got blood on your face, a big disgrace, waving your banner all over the place. We Queen, gay or not, uh, it, it, it didn't matter. It was they were, these were excellent songs, excellent musicians. Uh, arguably, one of the best frontmen for a band of all time. I mean, maybe that'll be another top ten we'll do. But I feel like Bohemian Rhapsody. I heard that so fucking much on AM radio as a kid, like on ABC radio, like constantly. Uh huh. I feel like it was forced down my throat a little bit. You feel like Bohemian Rhapsody was forced down your throat. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like I was tortured with it to a degree as a kid. That and like uh, there's a new kid in town, native New Yorker. I don't want to hear it. Um, time in a bottle. Ooh. Well, yeah, Ooh. maybe you the- light up my life. Oh. Could you have maybe changed the station? Could it have maybe been on you? No, to because you change, change the station, the station? And it goes just another fucking rotation of the same shit. ABC, 99X, it was all crap. Well, I'll just say that uh, I, w- I did not feel tortured, and if I was ever tortured by something I was watching or listening to, I would exercise my free will and change the channel. Oof, you're a native New Yorker, are you? Are you? All right. You fucking freak. Anyway, uh, Queen uh, was great. Queen influenced, uh, I know for a fact, Queen influenced heavily uh, Van Halen. They have talked about it at length. Um, Weird. Uh, in in uh, interviews Freddie and such. Mercury influenced David Lee Roth. The band, uh, d- uh, Brian May. Okay, that I can see. And there is a recording, there's an album. One of the few things that Eddie Van Halen has done outside of Van Halen is record a solo album, I mean a side project, with Brian May. There's an album with Brian May and Eddie Van Halen on it. I don't know why you would think that it would be bad for Freddie Mercury to influence David Lee Roth. I think David Lee Roth is a sponge. David Lee Roth prides himself on being like... Uh, a showy like front man? not a homosexual. No, he's... David Lee Roth is not a homosexual, but he is a sponge, and he I have seen him do it. Uh, he will take in everything that he likes about something, and he will well, that's good. put it uh, in that's, together. That's and fine. Look, Freddie Mercury was a genius. Yeah. I just, he wasn't my cup of tea. That's fine, but I, I, I feel like you saying that they're a fag band or whatever is just... I, I feel like that's... I know you're trying to be funny, but it's also pretty uncool. Um, they, those guys were also uh, heavily influenced. Al... And Ed were heavily influenced by Dave Clark Five, and Dave Clark was uh, Freddie Mercury's boyfriend. So um, they, it, I don't think that it matters uh, if you're gay or not. No, it doesn't matter if you're gay. It's just the, the music was a little something for uh, it was like too theatrical or something for me. Okay, well, that's all. How about a big fuck you? All right. <laughs> I, I I love Queen, um, and that's it. So we can agree to disagree about the yeah. awesomeness of Queen. You're uh, just uh, keep in mind whenever you say an album, I don't tell you that it's shitty or gay. Oh, or, that's fine. Uh, anything, no, but what, go ahead with your next what, album. What's, what's gayer if you're a man? Going to a barber shop, mm-hmm. or a man cuts your hair, uh-huh. or going to a beauty salon. Or a woman cut your hair. 
Which is which is gayer? Why does it? Why does either have to be gay? I don't know because because some guys think oh you're gay if you go to a beauty salon, and then that's probably the same kind of guy who thought oh you're gay if you take ballet. But in real reality, if you get if you take ballet, you're the one who's around all the girls, and uh, if you're in a barber shop, you got a man all over your face. Yeah, you well, uh, and you as a man, if you just to get a massage, I wouldn't want a man touching my body. It's not sexual, but I don't want another man all over my body. Okay, that's fine. Just saying. So you know, who's the fag? That's all I'm saying. I don't understand why you're saying that. This has nothing to do with Queen. Greatest hits. Exactly. My number six pick. Okay, Dave. Now we're up to your number five. <sighs> number five. Number five. I say. Uh, Uh, the first Leonard Skinner album. Does it have a name? I believe it's pronounced Leonard Skinner. I think that's three, gay, three. but let me. Whoa! That's not gay, man. That was a gym coach. Skinner, pronounced Leonard Skinner, is the debut album from American rock band Leonard Skinner, released in 1973. The album features several of the band's most well-known songs, including Gimme Three Steps, Simple Man, Tuesday's Gone, and Freebird, which launched the band to national stardom. The album was certified gold on December 18, 1974, platinum and double platinum on July 21, 1987 by RIAA. The album also peaked at 27 in the Billboard 200 in 1975. Yeah. So you went through a Leonard Skinner phase. I would say so, yes. When was that? Uh, you know, from like age, you know, 13 to like 17 maybe. That kind of thing. What got you into that? Were your brothers listening to it or uh, what got me into that? Was it on the radio? Uh, yeah, I guess my brother's my brother had the album Second Coming, which is their second album. Which, so I got into it that way. Which brother? Uh, Todd had that. I see. Yes. And then, uh, now my favorite song on the album is I Ain't the One, I think. Is that, wait, is that on there? No. Wait, what's I the I Ain't the One. What's the first song? I Ain't the One. Yes, that's my favorite song on the album. And then Poison Whiskey. And I saw a video of them in 2018 or something doing this, and it was just terrible. Right. Well, because they're all dead, Dave. Yeah. Whatever's going on now, it's just a, it's just a travesty. But back then, they were young, crazy Southern kids kicking some serious ass. And the guitar playing is amazing. The singing is right on. And the energy, the whole thing has just got a really nice rebellious rock vibe to it. It's really organic. 
it was like Skinner was like the Almond Brothers, but like the real rocking part. Like it was almost like a condensed version of the Almond Brothers. Compressed. Yeah, like he could get everything, like the long, like the great dual guitar playing, good drumming, great singing, great keyboard playing, but it was just a little less jammy, a little more like commercial in the pocket. That's what I would say. All right. And, yeah. uh, you know, uh, you know Freebirds is what it is, but. I mean, I think that's probably their most famous mm-hmm. song. I mean, shit. We used to yell Freebird up at you at yeah. First House while you guys were playing. Everybody does it. <laughs> Freebird! Scared was a great band, you know, and then they died and somehow they kept going and turned into not a great band. It, yeah, but, but people are still going to see them. I'm sure when they play outdoors, uh, people are just, you know, yeah, it's, fine it's to shell. spend their money. And, uh, it's a shell of what it was. Yeah, but I mean... That's uh, not not for us to. I dare you judge to find them, I guess. some better guitar playing than on that Skinner shit, though, right there. The the dual guitar. It's actually I think there's three guitar players on the album, but there might only be two, because uh, they had, well, they had four guys, but they had Rossington and Collins, and they also had Ed King. And Ed King might be on bass on this album. I'm not sure, but Ed King was from the Strawberry Alarm Clock. Oh. Yeah, he's he's on all that uh, incense and peppermint and all that shit. And then he fucking went and joined this band and created some of the best Southern rock shit ever. So he's the only... he. So two out of the three people from Strawberry Alarm Clock did okay. I would say so. Okay, well... Ed King, I think, just passed away, but he did the best. He was, he was, he's great. He's lead guitar on Mississippi Kid, and then bass guitar on all tracks except Mississippi Kid and Tuesday's Gone. Yeah, he's really good. Well... The whole thing, really good. And uh, Ronnie Van Zant could sing. He yeah. could really sing. So uh, they were a good band. I'm not going to... Dave, unlike you, when you tell me your, your pick, I am not going to shit on it. Well, you know, they were a bunch of su- racist Southerners, but someone's got to be. Yeah, and you're a New York Jew, and here you are, exactly. getting together. That's fine. So your number five, Leonard Skinnerd, pronounced Leonard Skinnerd. My number five. Are you ready? We keep mentioning them. We <laughs> really do. I guess they, they, they're, they're out there. That was a smart name. Smart name. Okay. My number five is Billy Joel, The Stranger. Come out, Virginia. Don't any wait. If you got the liquor, start much too late. All the sooner or later, it comes down to fate. I might as well will be the one. Well, they showed you a statue, told you to pray. They built you a temple and locked you away. Ah, but they never told you the price that you pay. The things that you might have done, only the good die young. Darling, only the good die. Whoa, whoa, whoa. 
another best of. Okay. That's not a best of. I said not a best of. Oh, I thought you said another. I love The Stranger. You do? Yeah, it's one of my favorite albums. One of your favorite Billy Joel albums. One of your favorite albums. Uh, it's one of my favorite albums. You know, it's, uh, it's 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 in my top fifty probably. Oh, okay. I, I dug The Stranger. I like uh, yeah, I like uh, Big Shot. Probably. Yeah, well, that's most. not on this record, so we've already. Okay, okay. so that's, that's always what I know about that. Wait, it's not on this record? <sighs> we have this conversation almost every fucking oh my time. God, how is Big Shot not on this album? It's on, on 52nd 52nd Street? Street, yes. All right. All right, so. Ugh. So maybe I don't like this album. No, what is on this album? Moving Out? Yeah. The Stranger. Moving Out's ridiculously good. Stranger, of course. Just the Way You Are? Yeah. S- what? Yeah, you know, it's one of them sappy songs. Oh, I don't know how to take a leave it. Scenes from an Italian restaurant. Brenda and Eddie were the popular steadies and the king and the queen of the you know, prom. Riding around with the guys. But I like them. Fuck. Uh, Vienna? Yeah. Only the Good Die Young? That song I heard a fuck of a lot as a kid, too. That fucking song is rocking. Uh, she's Always a Woman. Get It Right the First Time. And Everybody Has a Dream. Well, he's a really good songwriter, and he's got a really good band, and uh, and mainly he's got an amazing drummer, Liberty DeVito. Uh huh. That's my piece. I think his songs are great. I think his performances were great. Um, I'd, I've seen Billy Joel a few times. Um, he. Uh, it's like a working man Steely Dan. Yeah, he is a well. I don't. I don't. Okay, he's a working man something. Definitely hitting the piano. Um, I remember seeing him in 91, um, that one song he does about, uh, it was from, I think it's from Nylon Curtain, um, we'll all go down together. Yeah. And he had all of his friends from the army on and it was, uh, it was emotional. It was, it was emotional. And if you can look that up, if that's on YouTube, you should, it's, uh, it's quite something that's not on this album but out of the, all the Billy Joel albums this one is my favorite it's, I can listen to it and sing along to it and uh, I love it but there are a lot of Billy Joel albums like that for me 52nd Street Glass Houses um, uh, Songs from the Attic There's t- to me Billy Joel is an American treasure and uh, I adore him uh, I don't agree with his politics obviously but uh i do adore him so billy joel my number five the stranger yeah it's one of the better albums yeah phil ramon uh you're number four david phil mccracken uh-huh hugh mccracken uh-huh uh number four yeah Oh, really getting down there. Mm-hmm. I better pull out some shit. Yeah. Uh, I'm going uh, heavy weather, weather report. Thank you. 
Heavy Weather is the eighth album by Weather Report, released in 1977 through Columbia Records. The release originally sold about 500,000 copies. It would prove to be the band's most commercially successful album. Heavy Weather received a five-star review from Downbeat Magazine and went on to be voted Jazz Album of the Year by the readers of that publication. Uh... So what is it about this record that you love? Uh, this weather this weather report album's got uh, Jocko on it. This is like the first full album with Jocko uh, on bass. And uh, the playing, recording, it's the whole thing is like a it's like an advancement in jazz. It's like a new new direction in jazz basically. Uh, it's like one of the first jazz albums that was pretty heavily edited actually so they were able to sculpt it a lot and kind of like take the best parts of performances and mix them together Uh, it was kind of a unique approach to creating a jazz album and uh, the playing on it is amazing Jocko's got some signature stuff on there Uh, it's just groundbreaking really how did you uh, come to hear about these guys uh well I'd have to say that you know I liked rock music first but I was aware of jazz but I didn't really like it so much I always liked rock music uh huh and then I got into Jimi Hendrix and through Hendrix somehow I got into like that opened me up to fusion. And from Hendrix, I got into Brand X. And Brand X is uh, Phil Collins' fusion band. Oh, okay. And then after I got into Brand X, somehow I got hip to Jocko. Uh, I guess because at that time I was going to school with my Japanese friends who were all into fusion music. I see. So... Through Jimi Hendrix, I got into jazz, into like electric jazz, Miles and Weather Report, that kind of stuff. And then as a young musician, our main influences were electric Miles, that Miles Fusion stuff, all his comeback stuff from the 80s, and anything, you know, jazz, any jazz fusion. Fusion was the biggest thing for us. And uh, Weather Report and Jocko, I mean, that was, Jocko was one of the, biggest forces in that music and did you see him live a lot i didn't see him live a lot but i saw him once or twice oh okay uh did you just go by yourself or with your japanese friends or mm, i don't know one time i went to see him at the blue nut and they wouldn't let me in because i was only 16 oh man that was bogus that was stupid on their part well they serve liquor so yeah well they were depriving fucking a kid of seeing a musical legend who wasn't going to be on this earth for that long and uh thanks thanks a lot you fuckers cocksuckers this is so retarded all right well no i don't want to drink you idiots i just want to witness something thanks so yeah i would have seen him more but i didn't and of course i had friends who hung out with him and played with him so whatever that's cool get into that right now i'm just saying that jocko was a goddamn genius and then uh, Zawinul, the swingingest Nazi there ever was. And then uh, Wayne Shorter from Miles' band on sax. 
And then they got this guy Akuna on drums who was like uh, from like where is he from? He's from like El Salvador or Guatemala or something. And he plays jazz though. So he's like a unique approach to playing this like Alex Acuña is a Peruvian drummer and percussionist. Yeah, Peruvian. Like that's not he's not your normal influence as a jazz player. It's just unique shit. Between him and Jocko, I don't know, really really good stuff. Do you have a favorite song on this? Uh, I don't know. I don't really have a favorite song. All right. You just like it. You listen to it all. You just yeah, put it I mean, on and Havana's listen. Havana's amazing. Palladium. It's all good. Teen Town. It's got Teen Town. Teen Town is like... That was like the uh, Bible for bass players. Oh, really? Yeah, I mean, if you were a bass player in the 80s and you were into hip music, I mean, if you were into jazz... If you couldn't play Teen Town, well, then you didn't have your shit together. Oh, shit. Yeah. Can you play Teen Town? No, but I'm not a bass player. Sometimes you dabble, though. Yeah, I can fuck around, but I'm not a bass player. So you cannot play Teen Town. No, but you do not have your shit together. People I play with can play it by heart. They play it back and forth. Good for them. All right. So this was your number four, right? I think so. That being said, you know, Weather Report's got a bunch of other albums that are great, too. But just this one is really the culmination. I think all my top ten albums are from, like, 1973, 4, 5, 6, 7, pretty much. My number four. <laughs> I've done it again. Uh-oh. <clears throat> You're going to not... Uh, well, whatever doesn't That's matter. what I call rock. Ron <laughs> Lifetime, Sound of the 70s, Volume 1 through 76. Mm-hmm. No. Uh, the Slade Collection, That's off of my beaten path. It's off of your beaten path, but holy shit, I love Slade. Wait, now, Slade is Naughty Holder? Naughty Holder. Now, Slade did Fox on the Run? 
That is the sweet. Okay. See, I confuse myself. Uh, <clears throat> the Slade Collection, 81 to 87, is a compilation album by the British rock band Slade, re- uh, released by RCA BMG in March of 1991. It contains 17 tracks spanning the band's RCA years from 1981 to 1987, including three live tracks from Slade on Stage. A follow-up album, The Slade Collection Volume 2, was released in 1993. Uh... You might think you don't know Slade, but you fucking know Slade is what I'm about to tell you. Uh, Run, Run Away is a huge hit. Yeah. Uh, Every Day, We'll Bring the, the House Down, Ruby Red, and now The Waltz, Do You Believe in Miracles, still the same. My Oh My is a song that you know. Who does Bootstrap Bop? That is... That that's the Ramones. Wait, who does Ballroom Blitz? Ballroom Blitz. That is the Sweet. Wow. See, I don't still know my Slade for my Sweet. <laughs> oh, wait a second. Who's the one that that Quiet Riot sounds like? That is Slade. Baby, baby, So, who do you like more, Quiet Riot or Slade? I Quiet Riot is not on my top ten. You don't like them much at all. It's not that I don't like them, but I love Slade. Kevin Dubrov. They are. Dubrov. They are on my top ten. Slade right. is. Uh, this is the thing. Slade um, started naming their, titling their songs with weird spellings. Uh, so other Motley Crue, as an homage to Slade, spelled Motley Crue in a weird way. Um, did they name their band after a Slade song? <clears throat> no, but Quiet Riot became a pretty, pretty much of a, a Slade cover, cover band, band right. with uh, Come On, Feel the Noise, Mama, We're All Crazy Now. Sir. Uh, and, you know, when I was working for uh, Van Halen, I had access to all of these... Um, like bootlegs from mm-hmm. you know early 70s from before record you know California backyard party type bootlegs and they played goodbye to Jane on one of them and I could not believe it I was like holy shit my mind is blown here they are playing goodbye to Jane it's fucking amazing um, yeah. so uh, they have this this album um, if you like run run away 
you will like this whole album because they are they have a, a it's an infectious funness about their lyrics and the music that makes you feel like it's uh you're at a, a ball game it's just it's just makes you want to get up and cheer now, and sing along they were a hundred times bigger in england than america right uh yes as a matter of fact they have a very popular christmas song that is played uh around the world but it is a huge hit in england so much so that they feature it in almost every uh doctor who christmas episode the uh, recording quality on that it sounds really big uh, the Christmas one yeah yeah I, all of but the, Dave all of their songs sound big they're like an arena rock band they are amazing and they are fun and uh, if you don't if you don't have one of their records I just you know what go to YouTube and start listening it literally is just fun music it's fucking fun it's fun as fuck and it's one of those records you know top down on the way down to the jersey shore yeah, uh it's interesting just uh you know, pedal to the metal singing along they having a blast a lot of american rock bands i adore them i adore them and i i first found out about them uh i think i've told the story before but uh i worked at a radio station in randolph new jersey uh, WMHQ and uh, they had been a certain type of radio station and they switched to oldies but they were still getting records sent to them and so uh, when you act as a receptionist uh, you get to get those records and, and listen to them when no one else is around and I was like holy shit it was uh, the, the album was you boys make big noise and I fucking it was an album. It was a 12-inch black record, vinyl. Mm. And I played it and played it and played it, and I was like, I need more. And I, it just started my uh, freakout, my Slade freakout that started in 1987 and has been going on since then. Um, I love them. I can always listen to that record, and it will always make me feel amazing. There's one song on there called Every Day, and it's a live song. And as it starts, you hear how big the crowd is, and you hear them singing along. And it is just to have been to have been there would have been a, an amazing experience. Every day when I'm away, I'm thinking of you. Everyone can carry on except. Let me hear you sing. 
Number four, Slade, the Slade Collection, 81 to 87. All right, Dave, on to your number three. Number three. My number three, uh, first Almond Brothers album. Brothers. The Allman Brothers Band is the debut studio album by American rock band The Allman Brothers Band. It was released in the United States by Atco Records and Capricorn Records on November 4th, 1969, and produced by Adrian Barber. Hey, at least it wasn't Adrian Barbeau. Yeah. That would have been a little bit different outcome. Formed in 1969, the Allman Brothers Band came together following various musical pursuits by each individual member. Following session work, Dwayne Allman moved to Jacksonville, Florida, where he led large jam sessions with his new band, one he had envisioned as having two guitarists and two drummers. After rounding out the lineup with the addition of his brother, Greg Allman, the band moved to Macon, Georgia, where they were to be one of the premier acts on Capricorn. Well, that's true. Yeah, I was in a band. True. We did a spec deal for Capricorn. Oh, okay. And we recorded with Johnny Sandlin, mm-hmm. who, who was the engineer on Eat a Peach and Brothers and Sisters, and played drums for the Almond Joys. Oh. Now, the Almond Joys were the Almond Brothers before they were the Almond Brothers. Oh, in about okay. 1966. Interesting. Now, that's a good name for a band, if you ask me. If you're in the Almond Brothers and you got a man called the Almond Joys and there's a candy bar, Almond Joys. Now that isn't your name. Okay. Now. Tell me about this record. Why is it your number three? Because this album, I don't know, I had this album and it spoke to me. Mm. Now it is jamming. This album is jamming and it reminds me of Santana. Ah. That's the first cut. Don't want you no more. Exactly. That uh, that, that cut. Now what's after that? It's not my cross to what's bear. After that? Black-hearted woman. Yeah. Now, black-hearted woman sounds a lot like something off of uh, uh, one of Santana's album, like uh, what's that one? Uh, Abraxas. All that shit sounds like that. So kind of really jamming like Latin rock. Oh, okay. <clears throat> 
and I don't know, there's the organ playing, the drumming, the guitar playing, the singing, the arrangements, everything on this album is stellar. It's a studio album, but it comes off like a live album. Oh, really? Yeah, for me, I like it. Alban Brothers Live at Fillmore East is one of the greatest albums, but I actually like this more, personally. It's a little more compact and easy to digest. Singing and guitar playing, it's just the drumming, the whole thing. That first that first side right there, that the way that starts, the first song, amazing. I mean like as a kid, this shit was like larger than life basically. In terms of like musicianship. So I would say that one. Excellent. Um if you had to pick a song. <clears throat> What's the first one again? Don't watch you no more. Yeah, that's probably a good one. Alright. Well, yeah, that that first song there. But see, kinda like the first song goes into the second song. I don't think there's even a break. Oh, I gotcha. Okay. <clears throat> then trouble no more. I mean that's just really really good. Anything else you wanted to say about it? Uh, that's the one where they're all naked in the in the creek together, on the back cover. Oh, that's exciting. Yes. Is that why you like it? No, but because that bizarre. seems gay. Yes. So they're naked, sitting in the creek together. Well, <gasps> that's 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 gross. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, so that was your number three. Yes. My number three, I already know you don't like. But it is Meatloaf, Bat Out of Hell. Trying to speak, but no matter what I do, 
this fucking record, I will stand there in the living room and do a one-woman show, mouth mouthing the words or singing them along. Every fucking time. Every time. I don't care. I don't care who's with me. I don't care if nobody's with me. If it's just cats and dogs looking at me, I will put on the show from the first time you, you drop the needle till the very end. And I will be theatrical and I will I will own it just like Meatloaf did up on that stage. Who's the drummer on this album? I'm glad you asked. We've got a few drummers. One of them was not Kevin Elman, was it? One of them was Stiffy McGillicuddy. Max He's on this album? Max Weinberg. Oh my god. What cuts he on? He's on cuts number one, two, and six. Wow. Which are Bad Out of Hell, You Took the Words Right Out of My Mouth, and Paradise by the Dashboard Light. Wow. So uh, there you go. And Who else? Uh, John Willie Wilcox. I believe he was drummer for uh, Utopia at one point. Is that true? Mm-hmm. Okay. And let's see. I think so. I think he's one of Todd Rundgren's guys. We've got uh, Jim Steinman on keyboards, Roger Powell on synthesizer. Ed- Roger Powell also from Utopia. Edgar Winter, uh, Phil Rizzuto, of course, uh, and members of the New York Philharmonic and Philadelphia Orchestra. not a surprise to you at all. No. Kasim Sultan's not on this album? Kasim Sultan is a bass guitar on tracks 1, 2, 4, 5, 6, and 7. Yeah. So, yeah, he's on everything except Heaven Can Wait. Bad Out of Hell is the debut studio album by American rock singer Meatloaf, as well as as his first collaboration with composer Jin... Jim Steinman and producer Todd Rundgren. The album was released in September of 1977 on Cleveland International Epic Records. It is one of the best-selling albums of all time, having sold over 43 million copies worldwide. Jesus. Rolling Stone ranked it as its number 343. Uh. <laughs> um its musical style is influenced by Steinman's appreciation appreciation of uh, Richard Wagner, Phil Spector, Bruce Springsteen, and The Who. Uh, Bad Out of Hell has been certified 14 times platinum by the Recording Industry Association of America, and as of May of 2015, it has spent 485 weeks in the UK charts. The album went on to become one of the most influential and iconic albums of all time, and its songs have remained classic rock staples. Well, I would say that's all true. I would say that Bad Out of Hell... I mean, if you sometimes you listen to music from the 70s, and it says 70s, 
But to me, I mean, and that might be true for you more specifically with just like recording techniques and stuff, but I'm just talking about the music. And I just feel like this shit is fucking timeless and it's rocking and it's, it's, it's theatrical and it's emotional and I, it's fun as fuck for me. Fun as fuck. Interesting. You just don't like it, huh? Hmm. When was I'll Do Anything for Love? When did that come out? I would do anything. Is that also Todd Rundgren produced? Uh, Is that Jim Steinem? That's definitely Jim Jim Steinem. Um, That was the Bad Out of Hell, Back into Hell. Um, It was like the sequel. Uh, I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. God knows what that is. That song, oh, he won't. Uh, he won't leave her. He won't break up with her. He won't leave her. Uh, song that doesn't even make any sense. I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. Don't ask me to leave. Well, that wouldn't be for love, though. Uh, it's like I, I do anything for love, but I won't have a cheeseburger with ketchup on it. Reached number one in twenty-eight countries. How's that for a hit? Yeah. Yeah, was this around the, what year was this? Uh, the second one or this the first song? one? This one was uh, uh, released in 1993, the second one. I see. It is not on my list, but uh, you asked about it, so I am telling you. Is it you. also Todd Rundgren? Todd Rundgren, background vocal arranger. So Yeah, I don't know anything about the album except for that one song. <clears throat> Interesting. So that was my number three. We are now on to number two, Dave. You're number two. Number two. Mm-hmm. I would have to say number two is a night fry. Donald Fagan, a night fly. Second in my list by Donald Fagan. One is Steely Dan, a one a night flat. 
The Nightfly is the debut studio album by American singer-songwriter Donald Fagan. Produced by Gary Katz, it was released October 1st, 1982 by Warner Brothers Records. Fagan was previously best known for his work in the group Steely Dan, with whom he enjoyed a successful career in the 70s. The band separated in 81, leading Fagan to pursue a solo career. Although The Nightfly includes a number of production staff and musicians who had played on Steely Dan Records, it was Fagan's first release without longtime collaborator Walter Becker. Uh, unlike, <clears throat> unlike most of Fagan's previous work, The Nightfly is almost blatantly autobiographical. Many of the songs relate to the cautiously optimistic mood of his suburban childhood in the late 50s and early 60s and incorporate such topics as late-night jazz disc jockeys, fallout shelters, and tropical vacations. The uh, album cover on the, the back of the album cover describes what the album is. What does it say? Something about, like, these songs are, you know... You know, about a kid growing up in suburban New Jersey in the 1950s and his, you know, disenchantment with suburbia or some shit like that. The songs on this album represent certain fantasies that might have been entertained by a young man growing up in the remote suburbs of a northeastern city during the late 50s and early 60s, i.e. one of my general height, weight, and build. (laughs) Yeah. The recording quality on this album is pristine. It's the first album released to be recorded digitally, if I'm not mistaken. That should be noted in Wikipedia. If it's not, I don't know why it's not. It's one of the facts. This album and uh, Bop Till You Drop by Ry Cooter, which is also another great album, but that uh, that's another story. Uh... Yeah, this is once again a concept album where all the songs basically are kind of theme-oriented. I just think it's a great, great album. I think the playing on it is excellent. I think the lyrics are really good. The chords are amazing. The song Maxine is a masterpiece. They're all just really good. The Nightfly. This is like, like I was saying before, Asia was the culmination of Steely Dan. Well, Nightfly is the culmination after like Nightfly is is what all that shit leads up to like in reality Nightfly is like where it all maxes out in my opinion it says here the album remains a favorite among audiophiles According to Paul Tingen from Sound on Sound magazine, The Nightfly was for years a popular demonstration record in hi-fi stores across the globe. Paul White, editor-in-chief of Sound on Sound, said, The Nightfly is always a good reference for checking out monitoring systems and shows what good results could be obtained from those early digital recording systems in the right hands. That's cool. In addition to its use in recording studio tests, Clive Young of Pro Sound News called Fagan's IGY the Freebird of pro audio claiming that almost every live sound engineer uses the song to test the front of house system's sound response eq magazine rated the nightfly as among the top 10 best recorded albums of all time alongside the beatles sergeant pepper uh and the beach boys pet sounds it's recorded way better than both of those albums <laughs> It's also, you know, 10, 15 years later. Do you consider yourself an audiophile? Is that, a, do you no, use that word? No, I don't. I nope. don't. Audiophiles I, are people who like, you know, strive to like 
purchase high-end gear they like to listen to vinyl on like you know ten thousand dollars and up systems Mm -hmm. no i'm not an audiophile but i can appreciate what they're into i see sometimes you guys uh you do a crossover with them but you are not one of them no if i could afford it i might be Uh, okay i get that um track listing igy green flower street ruby baby maxine ruby baby is by uh um dion if i'm not mistaken uh, no, is it? Jerry Lieber Wait. and Mark Stoller. Exactly, Mike but it Stoller, was recorded by Dion. Arranged by Donald Fagan. Um, New Frontier, The Nightfly, The Goodbye Look, and Walk Between Raindrops. It's a fucking really good album. It's not like a real. It's not like a real rock album. Like there's no like wailing guitar, but there's tasteful guitar solos. It's just I don't know something about it. The song The Nightfly is, is really good. It's got Marcus on it, if I'm not mistaken. Marcus. Is he on the album? I think he is. Maybe uh, Greg Phil and Gaines maybe on it, too. I think Marcus and Steve Gadd, maybe. Let's see. You've got Ed Green on drums, Steve Jordan on drums, Marcus Miller and Will Lee on bass. There you go. Um, Gadd's not on it? I'm, I'm looking. This, this list is not... Uh, put together in any order I'm Gad's on Gaucho if they're doing it alphabetical and that's what it looks like I do not see Steve Gad alright I see James Gadson right he's from Bill Withers band James Gadson Ed Green Steve Jordan and I think that's all I see for there you guys. go so it's Steve Jordan not Steve Gad okay uh, so this was your number This was your number two. Well, we're getting to the end. My number two may or may not surprise you at all. All right. Asia by Steely Dan. Oh, hey now. this record for maybe reasons that you don't love it but i do love this record it's it's so and maybe it is for the same reasons but i can't put it into the words that you 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 would use but uh it is a listening uh it's 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 a joy to listen to it's it's you can hear every complex thing you can uh the songs are great the lyrics are great the music is great everything about the songs is great the background singing the uh the playing it's just 
to me, it's just it just sounds um, perfect. It's uh, perfect in every way, and the uh, the song Asia is just fuck, dude. It's just a, it's just great. And then that we uh, at some point saw there's a documentary about the making of Asia, right? And that is amazing, and it just makes you appreciate it even more. Um, let me just quickly read from Wikipedia here. <clears throat> Asia is the sixth studio album by the jazz rock band Steely Dan. Originally released in 1977 on ABC Records, the album peaked at number three on the U.S. charts and number five in the U.K. It was the band's first platinum album and ultimately became their best-selling studio release, eventually selling over five million copies. It spawned a number of hit singles, including Peg, Deacon Blues, and Josie. In July of 1978, the album won the Grammy Award for Best Engineered Non-Classical Recording. The credits for Asia list nearly 40 musicians as band leaders Donald Fagan and Walter Becker pushed Steely Dan further into experimenting with different combinations of session players. Uh, in 2003, the album was inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame and ranked number 145 on Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Albums of All Time list. Um, album is often cited as one of the best test recordings for audiophiles due to its high production standards. So, uh, what do you feel about Asia? Oh, it's a masterpiece for sure. But not your favorite, like you said before. Um, not my favorite, but it's a masterpiece and I really like it. I, I think, I mean, for me, when I listen to it, every song's a hit because I've heard every song on the radio at some point. Maybe they weren't top 10 hits, yeah. but uh, you've got Black Cow. And isn't that the one that was sampled? Yeah. Uh, Asia, Deacon Blues, Peg, Home at Last, I Got the News, and Josie. I mean, shit. Yeah, it's killer. It's fucking, dude, and it is it is a pure joy to listen to. Like, I, I would never describe myself as an audiophile, but listening to this and you can hear how well it's put together you can hear the shit that went into it you know like it's it's one of those records where like like i'll listen to slade or i'll listen to meatloaf and i will just be uh i will be having fun with the music but when you start listening to something like asia through the headphones even uh, more so you hear that it's a fucking layered puzzle that is put together pristinely for your enjoyment and it's it, it's kind of mind-blowing i almost feel like shit i'm not worthy to listen to this because i'm sure i'm missing out on even more you know but uh it's it's amazing it is uh, uh, it is an amazing thing to listen to and uh yeah my number two yeah, it's the top of the New York session musicians, basically. It is. It is. Whew, it is. Uh, it is a must listen to. I think. I think you really appreciate uh, just what can be done in a studio as far as just layering and and and, I, and it's almost like and you know when we watch that documentary and Michael McDonald's talking about singing the background vocals and. Uh, it's almost like Fagan and maybe Becker were directors, you know. They were directing him to enunciate certain words in a certain way. And it, it's it, it's definitely more of a production, more like a movie in that way, where there's 
you know somebody's telling you exactly how to do it uh and it, it just it just comes through to me I'm a fagin' genius. Okay. Walter Becker, pretty good. Well, he's, he's passed. Well, he's pretty good. Okay. But Walter Becker, not Donna Fagan. Okay. Okay. All righty. <laughs> On to your number one, Dave. Dave's number one. Drum roll, please. My number one album, I quite a Go fuck yourself. talking about the studio version not the movie version well the movie version is cool too movie soundtrack is cool but the album is what i'm talking about quadrophenia is the sixth studio album by the english rock band the who released as a double album on october 26 1973 by track records it is the group's second rock opera set in london and brighton in 1965 the story follows a young mod named jimmy in his search for self-worth and importance quadrophenia is the only who album entirely composed by pete townsend it's fucking masterpiece 
it, you know, it's a social commentary. The playing on it is off the hook. The singing is great. The bass playing is revolutionary. The drumming is is also revolutionary. The guitar playing is sets the standard for albums to come, like Who's Next. But uh, you don't get more complete of a of a of a work. It's like a stellar work of art in the genre of rock music. That's what I think. It's social commentary. It's brilliant. It's just brilliant. Now, and it's live. It's got a live feel to it. It's like, it's raw. It's a studio album and it sounds amazing. It are sounds they, like a fucking raw rock band. Are they playing together? Are they recording together? Some of it's recorded together for sure. Now, yeah, there's overdubs, but yeah, the, the core of it's recorded together for sure. Now, this album came out in October of 73, so clearly you weren't listening to it in October of 73. What, no, I started listening to it around 79. Who brought you, uh, was it one of your brothers uh, brought you into it, uh, or maybe someone? I no, I don't think so. I just think all my friends in school were into The Who, so we just started getting into The Who, and once you get into it, you started getting into it. So. You, yeah, okay, so somebody's... Somebody's somebody introduced everybody in your peer group to the yeah, who. Yeah, it was just part of our whole thing, the who, pretty much. And you think your friends are still into the who? Do you think Coleman would put the who in his top ten? Uh, I don't know about that, actually. I don't think so. I don't think he was into the who like I was into the who. I mean, uh, I got a couple of friends who were, when, but no, that's I don't think so. He liked Zeppelin more than the who, I think. Ah. Probably liked Van Halen more than them, too. Uh, the Oh, I didn't know that Coleman was a Van Halen fan. Yeah, when I first met him, he was real into Van Halen. I could have probably He's the first person to turn me on to Van Halen. I'm but sorry, I didn't know Coleman. shit about Van Halen until I went to his house. So uh, the track listing for this is I Am The Sea, The Real Me, Quadrophenia, Cut My Hair, The Punk and The Godfather, I'm One, The Dirty Jobs, Helpless Dancer, Is It In My Head, I've Had Enough... 515, Sea and Sand, Drowned, Bellboy, Dr. Jimmy, The Rock, and Love, Rain, or Me. The heavy thing about this album is it's quadrophenia, so it's it's the four personalities of this one person. Ah. And and Pete Townsend was making it so that each member of the band was one of these, represented one of the personalities. Oh, okay. So... Although it's entirely entirely composed by him, there are songs written for the characters, which are then sung by different, you know, like Bellboy is sung by by uh, Keith Moon. And uh, it's, you know, Keith Moon's character. Oh, okay. Now, the bellboy was, he was the face. He was the, uh, he was the leader of the mods. And then years later, he gets a job as a bellboy. He's like a sellout. And that's the song. It's like, you know, he's like, didn't I, didn't you used to lead all of us back in the day? And now I see you working here at this fucking hotel. Oh, shit. You know? And uh, it's just, it's really, it's a fucking insanely rebellious album. It's the prototype for punk music. It really is. 
I like, can see without that. this you don't have punk music in my opinion yeah you really got me but that's just the chords and the angst of the rhythm this is this is like uh, this is like classic English literature set to like aggressive rock music like Townsend really is a is a literary genius a, a really smart guy well, you know no one was like him that's what I was saying the other day it takes you know it took three or four guys in the Grateful Dead to do what just Townsend does just by himself he wrote all the music he wrote all the lyrics listen to Townsend's demos of Quadrophenia they sound like the album just with him playing all the instruments wow are those available? yeah totally anyway yeah the one off this album to listen to is uh, Punk Meets the Godfather here in order to do justice to the recording of Quadrophenia the group decided to build their own studio was it Eel Pie or something? Ramport Studios in Battersea so wow okay that's amazing yeah like I said then after Quadrophenia they were going to do I think this project called Lifehouse which was like going to be another type of Quadrophenia but with a different storyline but a similar like uh, concept piece never materialized and it became uh, who's next I see Quadrophenia you're number one yeah as an album as a musical piece okay that's fine that's what we're doing our number one albums our top ten albums Uh, my number one is probably a lot of people's number one uh, but there's a reason for that wait let me see if I can guess what it is Nope, can't guess. <laughs> I really thought you were going to try to guess. Pink Floyd, The Wall. Wow. Heavy. Mm-hmm. 
The Wall is the 11th studio album by English rock band Pink Floyd, released in 1979 through Harvest and Columbia Records, conceived during the In the Flesh tour, recorded... Recording spanned nearly a year from December 78 to November 79 and took place in France, England, New York, and Los Angeles. It was produced by Bob Ezrin, who helped to refine the concept and bridge tensions during recording. A rock opera and a concept record, its story explores Pink, a jaded rock star that bassist Roger Waters modeled after himself and band founder Sid Barrett. Pink's life begins with the loss of his father during the Second World War and continues with abuse from his school teachers, an overprotective mother, and the breakdown of his marriage all contribute to his eventual self-imposed isolation from society, symbolized by a wall. So another concept album. So two concept albums is the number one. We didn't even think that would happen, did we? No. Better go on. I guess we didn't really think about it at all. Um, I wasn't giving thought to what you would be uh, having at number one. But yeah, Pink Floyd was chock full of concept albums as well. Um, I was thinking which bands knew what they were doing. I know a lot of people pick Pink Floyd The Wall as their number one album. Mm. I'm totally on board with them. Uh, I'd Maybe I have some of the same reasons, some maybe not. But my number one, Pink Floyd, The oh, Wall. Oh, I didn't realize. You did? Oh, you didn't? No. See? Interesting. Uh, in the Flesh, The Thin Ice, Another Brick in the Wall, Part 1, The Happiest Days of Our Lives, Another Brick in the Wall, Part 2, Mother, Goodbye, Goodbye Blue Sky, Empty Spaces, Young Lust, one of my turns. I just, I, you know what? I just literally posted one of my turns on uh, Twitter the other day. It was hashtag mood. I was not happy. Um, Don't leave me now. Another brick in the wall, part three. Goodbye, cruel world. Hey, you. Is there anybody out there? Nobody's home. Vera. Bring the boys back home. Comfortably numb. The show must go on, in the flesh, run like hell, waiting for the worms, stop, the trial, and outside the wall. And I got to tell you, this is this fucking record is, a, it's like Quadrophenia. It's a story start to finish. I guess I understand why Gilmore had enough of him after a while. Of Roger Waters? Yeah. He seems like an insufferable prick. He does seem like a prick. Um, Gilmore's, I mean, and just Gilmore's guitar. I mean, you can even just. Dave Gilmore's like, hey, man, let's chill out and take some mushrooms. And Roger Waters' like, hey, man, let's kill the Jews. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Thank you very much. Thank I'll you very much. I'll be here all week. Uh, Folks. He's, we, he's been here for two plus decades. Folks, you know what I'm talking about. Uh,. Anyway, so uh, this has been our both of our top tens. Um, I'm not surprised by any of yours. You're probably surprised by a few of mine. Um, 
I am surprised that you uh, felt the need to say some of my choices were gay. Well, no, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh Okay. Anyway, uh, guys, honestly, we really loved uh, talking about the top ten choices of the magazines, even though we didn't agree with them. Yeah, I got one for you next. Top ten trombone players. Okay, can you stick with that? Anyway, Uh, folks, if you want to send in your top ten, Wiggy Bloogie, Coleman, Pete, uh, Dave has plenty to say about all music, as you can uh, hear. Top ten enthusiasts. Wait, no. uh, Uh I don't know. Top ten optimists. No, we're talking about music. Number one. Number one uh, one optimist. Uh A uh, trombone player with a beeper. Uh Okay, that was a joke in the 80s. Yeah. Get it? Because he wouldn't think he was ever going to get called for a gig. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, uh, if you have a top 10 list, send it on in. Uh, Send it on in to us. Uh, What's got uh, three legs and a prick on it? A drum stool. Uh Okay. I see. I don't know that that's a joke. I think that's just a fact. Wall. Oh, what sorry. do you call a guy who hangs out with musicians? A drug dealer. Uh huh. No, he's a drummer. Uh huh. Maybe both. Uh huh. Okay. Well. What do you call a guy who's really cool? A New York Jew. Thank you. I, I don't even know what that is. What? That's it's just a lie. Saying, what do you call me? Oh, you. Yeah. I see. All right. Hey, no. <laughs> okay. Anyway, uh, it's been uh, our pleasure once again to. Hey, you uh, okay. shouldn't stand so close to all them vegetables. You yeah. might thaw them out or something. You might melt all that stuff. Is that how that goes? Yes. Anyway, uh, that was from a Steve Martin movie, uh, My Blue Heaven. Oh, my blue, uh, my blue heaven velvet. It's a kind of a weird movie. I'm trying to do is a Steve Martin Dennis Hopper combo. Uh huh. Okay. My blue heaven. Velvet. Velvet. Uh-huh. Underground. Okay. Oh, boy. <laughs> All righty. Well, this has been fun. Oh, okay. We yeah. can wrap it up then. All right. Uh, everybody, thank you so much for listening. Uh, you can find all of our past episodes at middleagedcoolkids.com. And from there, you can uh, subscribe to us on uh, BitChute or iTunes or TuneIn or Stitcher um, or Google Play. Uh, I, we won't be posting these musical ones on YouTube because YouTube doesn't like us to use copyright, even though it's fair use and we are discussing them. Uh, they don't care. So YouTube doesn't care about you. Um, and guess what? We don't care about YouTube. But I know some of you diehards are listening on YouTube. So uh, hopefully you've... Uh, Dave, did you contact them and tell them where to listen? Yeah. Okay. Well, they have a lot of catching up to do. <sighs> David. Um, all right. Did you say something? I dare you to knock this battery off my shoulder. Okay. Uh, anyway, thanks again. And we will see you next time, America. Robert Conrad. Free Julian Assange. Mm-hmm.